welcome to cii podcasts very good afternoon to all of you ladies and gentlemen and thank you for joining this fireside chat with mr jamshed godrej past president cii chairman and managing director of godrej and voice on a subject that is you know very important and critical not only for all of us here in india but a problem which i think the world has to come together to solve and is looking to india you know to provide leadership and the person who is providing leadership to this cause in india is the one we have with us really honored and privileged to have you here jamshed with us on a subject called india at 100 towards green prosperity uh, i think you represent uh, a brand and a, a you know i think an ideology that resonates with everyone in india you know the godrej brand probably touches an indian every day uh, in multiple ways <laughs> you know and hundreds of millions of those uh, so i don't think you know anyone really needs an introduction to what you have contributed or what you know your brand and godrej has contributed to both india as well as to the world uh, but you know i must specifically mention about some of your roles uh, you know as a chairperson of the board of directors of the shakti sustainable energy foundation india resources trust council on energy environment and water you know you're a director with the climate works foundation world resources institute you know in the us and a trustee of the worldwide fund for nature so so many causes that you have personally stood by believed with uh, with cii you chair the cii sourabji godrej green business center you know which has created the largest number of green buildings in the world second only to the us in a matter of the last 15 years a very big agenda which was you know for cii and for indian industry over the last 15 years so really great to have you here jamshed and what we will do is have a conversation around the next 25 years you know as prime minister modi and the government likes to mention you know is the amrit kal of india it's a big opportunity for us as a country to be able to capitalize and maybe we can begin with uh, you know that as we really chart this road map towards building an aspirational blueprint you know for what we will be in 2047 and really look at the next 25 years you know what is your dream and vision like if you were to see india waking up 25 years from today you know what would you like to see yeah well rajan let me first of all say how pleased i am to have this uh, chat with you uh you have uh, also you know done so much to promote the idea that uh, cii and in india should look forward uh as as we grow you know to to a better uh, future and uh, it's good that we are talking about something when india is 100 years old that in uh, 2047 <clears throat> my my biggest uh, aspiration and dream is that you know we have changed the landscape of india from from the way it has been to one where <clears throat> we have you know every single person is uh, has been taken not just out of poverty but also leading a reasonably good life you know i think it's important uh, for us to recognize that uh, you know india's uh, per capita 
GDP or income is actually very, very low from a global perspective. And unless we are able to actually change that situation, you know, we are not actually going to be able to <clears throat> think of India as a developed and developing country because we still have uh, a huge legacy uh, of uh, you know our countrymen and women uh, who really have not been taken along the development path and uh, from my point of view uh, and and you know my my history and my family's history etc i think how to you know create the growth which is equitable and one which really makes a difference to every individual in india is i think uh, the most important uh, dream that i would have and i would say that for anybody today in india who is living and working in india uh, you know this is something that we have been uh, worried about and concerned about for a long time you know i mean if you take the mission of cii for instance you know what is the mission of cii to see india a developed country to see that we have equitable growth to see that we have sustainable growth to see that you know india uh, its position in the world is is recognized not just uh, you know because we have a large population but because we have achieved a lot and i think that that is the sort of uh, uh thought that 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 really sort of uh uh excites me uh in everything uh that i do uh and and it, and it is important that we recognize <clears throat> that our growth has been uh sort of uh, not very equitable uh that our growth has not been sustainable uh, that our growth you know is is uh, uh, been sort of imbalanced i mean you if you see the number of people uh, in india who are in agriculture you know partly or fully you know uh, it's is is that is completely unsustainable we have to move to more uh, value added and higher value uh, uh, employment uh, that's the only way that we are actually going to be able to feel that india has developed and the other part of course is that <clears throat> to support the growth we need infrastructure but when i say infrastructure it's not about roads and airports and dams and all that sort of thing it's more about the social infrastructure the social fabric uh, of india is what has to really make a difference you know we we are proud that we are a democracy we are proud that we are uh many many different voices uh with different ideas different dreams but all aiming towards seeing that we have uh an india which is equitable and an india which uh, everybody uh you know is sort of taken out of poverty so i think that that is really uh important as we uh think of india uh by 2047 no i think uh, you know you hit the nail on the head jamshed and i think that's the you know i think the driving sentiment you know around which a large part of everything that society industry government you know can do 
right to make that happen obviously to make things equitable and inclusive affordability you know continuing to drive better performance lower price by industry increasing manufacturing you know so many aspects will need to all happen you know employment what you rightly said you know education building capability india serving the world <laughs> through its human capacity so many aspects uh, you know get covered by just that you know that one point and and i think uh, it it kind of is the foundation and building block you know for the future so thank you for 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 you know that very powerful uh, opening remark but you know uh, you know one of the other conversations today jamshed is is really about you know us also being able to contribute to green prosperity you know by 2047 i think that's a a very very key i don't know whether i would like to say a challenge for the world but an opportunity for india you know because there's so many things we have to build from scratch rather than you know transform or you know do things like that so how do you envision you know india kind of achieving its dream of green prosperity by you know 2047 yeah rajan actually you know we have to look at this from both a historical perspective and a perspective of looking forward you know india has not been a uh, part of uh, rapid industrial growth uh, over the last 100 years you know as a result of that uh, its emissions per capita is still extremely low probably one of the lowest uh, in the world and i mentioned this only because i think uh, i'm echoing the words uh, of a former prime minister dr manmohan singh when he when he said that when you look at climate change and development india should never aspire to grow the way that the rest of the world the western world has really grown that it should aspire to limit our per capita emissions to the average of the world or lower and and not say that you know uh, the way we grow is actually going to result in high emissions so this is a very important uh, aspect i think our government today has taken on this ambition of uh, india becoming a net zero country uh, in the next 70 years uh, it's taken on the biggest challenge of converting uh, a country which is so dependent on coal for its power to one which is much less dependent on coal uh, and much more dependent on renewable energy you can solar you have wind you have biomass you have all sorts of other opportunities uh, uh, for uh, uh, producing energy and also efficiency you know we we cannot say that we are going to produce energy without thinking about its energy use and the fact that the energy will have to be used efficiently you know so in all these areas we made great strides you know we there's no doubt about it that uh, you know we are moving in a direction uh, which will allow us to be uh, an economy based on renewable energy but the challenge today is huge and enormous you know i mean just to put it uh, in a simple way you know with with even with a average of 6% growth uh you know the demand for energy is going to be enormous 
and today the only energy source that we have which is reliable is a fossil based one so how to transition from a fossil based energy uh, profile to a non fossil based energy profile is a huge challenge it's not only building solar power plants and wind plants and uh, looking at bio bio uh, waste and things like that it's about the entire economy you know you have to not only produce the energy you have to get it to the place where it's being used you have to do that efficiently you have to manage it in a way that is market oriented uh, in by uh, by the use of uh, uh, proper economic uh, arguments on tariffs etc so <clears throat> this is a massive challenge and for a country of the size of india i think we don't realize you know how big a challenge this is going to be and at the same time we are in our lifetime now we are experiencing huge amount of global warming you can you know that you know when no matter which part of the world you're in the fact is the average temperature in the world has gone up significantly and in fact a few days ago uh, we were told that uh, you know we've just uh, crossed the hottest day in the world you know based on an average of uh, temperatures from all over the world so i think this second challenge uh, in addition to the first challenge is such that you are going to need much more uh, home appliances and other appliances and other interventions on cooling now cooling as we know it is also very energy hungry you know which means that you have to figure out how do you how do you create uh, a system of cooling you know which is which is holistic so you have to look at urban planning you have to look at the way that uh, our streets are designed you have to look at how much green cover there is so what are those natural ways uh, of of being able to to reduce the temperature in a big city you know <clears throat> and what are the other industrial ways you know using air conditioning and other interventions like evaporative cooling etc that you can start bringing the temperature down in summer because we know from past research that productivity is very much based on you know temperature if if you have people working in in the field you know out in the open in 40 degree centigrade uh, temperatures you know that their productivity is going to be greatly affected their health is going to be greatly affected you know so these twin challenges that we have today of growth requiring energy and the heating of the planet requiring more energy for cooling these two are converging and this is creating a bigger challenge when we have to move to renewable energy so the pace at which we have to grow our uh, renewable energy sources is way beyond and way higher than anyone else in the world just because of the size of india the number of its people and and the geographic spread etc so these challenges are going to be huge and humongous i know that our government has made very very ambitious targets uh it's not that they cannot be met they can be met but they need policy reinforcement 
you know whether at the central level at the state level uh the local level everywhere uh and we will need those policy changes to take place quickly so that you know uh in a rapidly industrializing rapidly urbanizing india you know how are you going to manage these challenges we know that urbanization is something that you know you cannot avoid it's going to happen it's happening and and that's where also the high paying jobs are uh so if you want high quality jobs uh urbanization is essential but then how do you how do you urbanize in a sustainable way you know what are those basic uh, points uh we've all got used to using private transport you know how soon can we move to public transport every one of us you know why why is it that uh, <clears throat> we we are not using public transport today okay we know the reasons it could be convenience it could be you know many many it doesn't go to every place we want to go to there are many reasons for it but you have to grow those ideas and there are many good ideas on urbanization on public transport on cooling uh, and the other biggest challenge is going to be agriculture because so many of our indian brethren you know are involved in agriculture and agriculture today has to become more productive i think we have to learn to uh, grow the type of things uh, that uh, are not just in demand in india but uh, demand globally agriculture is a is a global commodity you know uh, it's a it's a commodity that uh, if we are good at doing certain things that's what we should be good at doing and selling to the world and buy the other parts that you know other countries may be more uh, suitable for uh, i mean take a take a cooking oil for instance you know we are so dependent on the import of palm oil uh, as a cooking medium you know so how are we actually going to change all these uh, habits uh, in a way that will allow us to become more sustainable because the problem of palm oil as we all know is that it grows in tropical areas where there are rainforests and if you're going to cut down the rainforest to grow palm oil you have a challenge so these are the the sort of things that we will have to face up to no i think you know you've so beautifully outlined you know the different levers you know that can you know affect this transition or at least the space of this transition and you know jamshed if we add to it right when you talk of global interdependence you know there's a pandemic there's a war global going around the geopolitical issues that need to get resolved you know new technologies that are moving you know at a crazy pace and at the same time we're really talking of businesses you know and industries being able to adapt i mean if everyone moves to public transport what happens to the private automobile industry how how will they look at that even if it's a 50 year or 20 30 year you know kind of a time frame so in your view you know what should indian business at least let's talk of india right be thinking when they're thinking of the next 25 years right especially in light of you know green growth uh, and and what could be incentives or you know regulation Uh, that the government can come in because you mentioned government right there could be some things that can be kind of enforced through regulation something that could be incentivized is it a combination of both you know some of your thoughts on 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 these subjects yeah well you know i think cii 
has uh, shown uh, that there is a lot that uh, in CII industry can do on a voluntary basis. Hmm? But there is also a role for uh, regulation. There is a role for rule setting. Okay. The, the challenge has always been to find that happy medium, you know, between voluntary action and, uh, and rule setting. Now, for instance, let's talk of buildings. You know, uh, we know that buildings uh, in India, 80% of the buildings that are going to be required by 2047 are yet to be built. You know, now when we build these buildings, if we don't build buildings which are sustainable and use less energy, use less water, less emissions, okay, you're locking that in otherwise. And buildings can last even 100 years. So if you don't do something early, you know, you will lock in uh, unsustainable uh, practice. And CII recognized this uh, 20 years ago when we set up uh, the Green Business Center. And the Green Business Center in CII was essentially about how do we manage the transition to sustainable industry. We talk of energy efficiency. Uh, we've talked of uh, how companies uh, can self-regulate. We talk of uh, how uh, products can be rated uh, for their greenness, etc. And so what has CII done in that process? You know, it has, it has uh, promoted green buildings, uh, rated green buildings, not just for the commercial or residential sector, but we have for hospitals, for schools, for townships, for, uh, you know, for all sorts of uh, different types of interventions that are required. Now, this is a voluntary activity. And how did we go about doing that? We were in a position to convince people who are building, putting up buildings, developers, you know, owners of buildings, etc., that it is in their interest from a long-term perspective to have a green building. This, this journey has taken us 20 years, but it is so satisfying that we today have the second largest stock of green rated buildings in the world. And uh, I think this is something you can say is voluntary action, you know, but look at, for instance, if you want all home appliances to be energy efficient, you have to have a rating system. You have to have a, uh, a rating system that puts everybody on the same level. So you have a star rating system. It applies to home appliances. It applies to automobiles for their consumption of fuel, etc. Uh, so this mix of voluntary action and regulation, I think getting that right is really important for industry. And I mean, the fact is, you know, when we when I say that we are going to build 80% of our buildings, we're going to need lots of steel. We're going to need lots of cement. Okay, <laughs> and lots of uh, glass. All of this are heavy energy consuming industries. And so these are sometimes they are known as, you know, hard to uh, abate in terms of their emissions. Uh, but there are there are lots of technologies out there today that are taking place. And I think one of the nicest things that has happened in India is this startup culture. And the startup culture is allowing highly educated young people 
you know, to to think out of the box total uh, for anything, you know, whether it is to do with education, to do with how do you make green hydrogen or, you know, whatever you do. Uh, so then I think this uh, entrepreneurial uh, bent of mind that I think almost comes down uh, to a lot of Indians uh, is something I think that that will stand us in good stead because we will need huge amount of interaction with universities and technology institutes. We'll need, you know, a much closer interaction between industry and academia. We will need uh, the whole startup seed in India making a difference in the way industry moves forward. We'll need all of this. And by having it all uh, and coming together, you know, this integration of all these different uh, ideas uh, is really what is very powerful. I think when you when you look at any one intervention, you know, by itself, it doesn't give you the same level of uh, uh, power and 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 result, you know. But it's when things come together that it makes a difference. And whether it's for industry, whether it's for agriculture, uh, you know, all of this is very much dependent on getting the system right. Uh, one of the biggest benefits of industry and manufacturing is that it provides high paying jobs uh, in relation in, rel in relative terms compared to agriculture. Say, you know, if we have to move, you know, 500 million people from agriculture to industry, that's a humongous job. You know, it's, it's not only about education and training, but it's about providing the opportunities, which means you need the growth in industry. So I would say that, you know, let's think holistically. I think we, we tend to think uh, a little bit too siloed. You know, we have to think about these big challenges uh, from a systems approach, you know. Uh, and it's not only about technology, you know, it's about social systems, you know. How do you, you, you have to, you have to be able to convince people as we move along, you know, that this is good for them, uh, that they need to also think that, you know, not just education, but skill training, for instance, uh, is crucial. You know, we know, for instance, that, you know, in Western countries, electricians, plumbers, and other skilled uh, technicians earn extremely well. They are part of the middle class. And there's no reason why that should not happen in India either. Yeah. No, I think I think you bring out this interdependency, you know, and the the social fabric so beautifully because ultimately every community or you know the world has to be one community around you know green growth, you know green livelihoods, green way of understanding their own consumption, you know, and for industry particularly, you know, to be able to 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 shape that. But one more thing, Jamshed, you know, you talked of, you know, voluntary action and you talked of regulation, right? Between these two, there's also this incentivization that tends to work well, especially if you want to see manufacturing as a, you know, growth driver for, you know, or, or green growth coming through manufacturing and many of these other areas. You know, are we doing enough? Uh, is there something more, you know, a government can do? You know, we know this PLI, you know, for example, has triggered, you know, some a lot of action in manufacturing. Uh, I don't know, you talked of startup, maybe, you know, some sort of, 
prioritized funding both from government but also supported by industry specifically to to promote this green community kind of concepts i don't know but any thoughts around incentive as a yeah. as a driver for this yeah yeah you know this there has always been this debate on incentives you know uh do you give uh, cash incentives or other incentives uh to encourage people to go into manufacturing or do you provide the environment uh and the basic uh you know the basis that you need you know you provide uh industry with good uh industrial uh, parks uh fully equipped with all the necessary infrastructure of roads power water treatment you know all of that uh so what is actually more important you know because this debate has been there forever as far as i can remember you know and i always believe that it has to be a mix of the two you know you can't go overboard on either one but having world class infrastructure you know is really one of the biggest incentives for industry because the hassle for industry to set up a manufacturing unit somewhere you know could be enormously uh, time consuming and expensive whereas the government actually and state governments even more than the central government is local government state governments they can do an enormous amount uh, to actually uh, provide the right type of incentive which is the right infrastructure but you know the social systems in that are very important that means the people who are charged in government with promoting industry you know have to look at this not that you know i've been able to attract ge and uh, and boeing to come to india that's not what's going to drive it what's going to drive it is facilitation that means it, in industry must be treated as a uh, uh, as as a as a sort of a welcome uh, organization in every part of the country and people must go the government people must go out of their way to facilitate make it happen uh, and do it fast i think this is a crucial point the difference between a lot of southeast asia and india is that that one of the reasons why southeast asia has become so industrialized is because the government at every level you know local state central put a lot of emphasis on facilitation and i think this is what we need to do but it doesn't mean that pli schemes don't have a role they certainly do have a role you know because it's a time bound program you know it it's it gives you that little bit of incentive to push you into doing it but once you've said okay i want to do it you must also be able to do it in an environment which is uh, uh, accepting and nurturing and and allows you to do it quickly so i think both are really important uh, i i will give you the example of vietnam only because i know about vietnam because i you know uh, use the their uh, facility in vietnam uh, to attract uh, investors what one simple change that they made uh you know and this was made actually in conjunction with uh, the singapore investment board and others you know people people who wanted to 20 years ago who wanted to take an interest in developing vietnam you know and they worked it out now you could say that 
Vietnam has a different government system from India. Yes, of course it does, no doubt. But the simple change they made was that they created industrial parks where the authority to approve anything, you know, whatever it is, all permissions, all customs clearances, taxes, everything was located with individuals, small group of individuals who was like a management uh, group, you know. And this made a huge difference. Vietnam was able to, you know, in 20 years, they have been able to attract so much investment by this one change, nothing else, you know. So I think we also need to think about what are those simple uh, governance changes that we could think of in India that work in our system, you know, that, that will be the facilitator. And I think that this, if we could do something more on this, you know, would be a big incentive for people to uh, start factories, etc. Now, I think very, very powerful thought. And, you know, also when you do it around a subject, you know, that is time sensitive and critical. Uh, I think it gives a great opportunity for government, private sector, civil society, everyone to really come together also, you know, to build some consensus, right? In India, probably Jamshed, the little the way we'll do it differently, build a little more consensus, but still ensure that it gets done, you know, and I think that process will probably be also very, you know, very, very sustainable. And, you know, when you talk of infrastructure, I think one big piece of, I don't know, missing infrastructure or maybe not adequately funded or adequately uh, important you know in our discussion of things especially when we compare you know to the rest of the world is our entire academic institution especially when it comes to you know higher education and you know the collaboration between industry and academia in a country like India you know the scale at which it needs to happen and the scale at which it's happening today you know even our R&D investments as a private sector are much smaller compared to you know the rest of the world whether it's innovation and this entire area of green and growth is so much about all of those factors right so how do you look at that particular you know synergy industry academia what can we do more what can we do differently do we consider it you know as a separate you know very important piece for us to consider yeah so actually you've talked uh of uh, education as as a very very important uh, driver uh, of innovation and growth and no doubt it is but i think that you know the iit brand for instance is now known all over the world some of the you know the leaders of some of the biggest companies in the world went to iit so i'm less worried about you know institutions like iits what I'm really worried about, actually, is, is the base of the pyramid here. Uh, you know, I think that uh, unless you get your education level, you know, at the bottom, uh, properly settled, you will never be able to uh, achieve the numbers of people who would be able to go to IITs and IIMs, etc. So the emphasis on primary education, you know, pre-primary education, primary education and secondary education. Frankly, to my mind, that is far more important than the higher education. I'm not saying we shouldn't have higher education. Of course, we should have higher education. But the emphasis, you know, in terms of uh, policy, uh, in terms of encouragement, in terms of, uh, you know, how do you provide 
high quality basic education yeah, which is reading you know mathematics uh, uh, exposure to uh, uh, science you know all of this how do we, how do we do that you know i think in a way if you ask me where we have failed in the country is not in iits i think thanks to jawala nehru who had that vision you know that we have to have these models of uh, uh, modern modern temples of india which is absolutely right i mean i i have nothing i don't deny that that was necessary but the emphasis on primary and secondary and uh, uh, pre primary education i think we have missed out on that uh, i'm sure there are many many reasons for it uh, india is a country with many languages uh, many approaches uh, culture is different in different parts of the country so but but somehow we have not been able to get uh, basic education to the level that we need you know and that would then lead to you know people being more skilled you know you have, you yourself have uh, taken so much effort in in developing a skill uh, development you know uh, i mean skills and you can build on the skills so well you know and income generation if the basics is right so yes everybody doesn't go to college everybody doesn't need to go to college you know there's lots of other jobs uh, uh, there are good jobs pay well paying jobs uh, that you could have you know you could be an electronics uh, technician you could be all sorts of things and i think we are missing out on that part the basic education and skill development and i would put much more emphasis on that because this will be the building block to reach the you know the vision of 2047 uh because that vision is not going to be reached if the people of the country are not in a position to actually be ready for that so i i would just say that yes uh by all means you know higher education is important research is important academia industry cooperation is crucial yeah but let's do more on the basics Yeah no I think you know and on this point particularly Jamshed you know I think there's a big role maybe I don't know for you know for even philanthropy to come in and you know to strengthen this because if this is our single largest priority and it's often discussed right between primary education affordable healthcare you know these are very clearly top of the mind for everyone who you know worries about India uh, is is this like is there a opportunity for you know philanthropy and you know you're one of those few people who walk the talk and closely observe you you know you do you do a lot more than what you say you do and i've seen that at work and you know for someone who really operates like that from the heart and is able to mobilize resources yourself do you think that industry you know of uh, family offices that are you know now making investments and now looking at family philanthropic activities you know uh, at a at, at many levels right uh, you know government in whatever we talked of uh, you know social work uh, many many other aspects coming together to drive primary education is that one way in which uh, you know we can move ahead as a society yeah you know let me say that there's no doubt that there's a role for philanthropy but there is a role 
for getting education policy right. You know, I think one of the big things that is missing is uh, the way that teachers actually teach. You know, uh, I think we put we have put over the years. You know, we have put a lot of emphasis on teachers following textbooks in a way uh, that you know people have to memorize things and 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 appear in exams and you know score 99.9 percent marks to get into college you know that is not education that's not learning you know i think i think we need to think through you know where we have actually failed in basic education uh, what is it that has changed uh, and in this the role of philanthropy is of course important you know not just to set up schools but also for philanthropic organizations involved in education policy say you know to work with governments uh, at every level you know there there are good examples of that in india where philanthropic large philanthropic organizations have got themselves involved uh, in basic education they work with the state government they work with teachers uh, because teachers also have to be uh, adequately trained etc but i think that uh, just like we talked about in industry you know it's an ecosystem of things falling in place uh, that will really make a difference you know uh, we we should we should realize that uh, good education policy can make a huge difference you know i'll i'll only give you one example of my family uh, you know my my father and mother and grandfather all of them actually uh from right from the beginning you know they put a lot of emphasis on schooling and the reason is because you know the people that we used to employ 50 years ago uh actually couldn't read and write you know they they this was this was the situation you know it was rare that uh, a factory worker could read and write and so we started in our company we started a school you know we started at the pre primary then primary then secondary and i mean if you put a lot of emphasis on teaching and learning as opposed to passing exams you know i think you can make a big difference uh i know i i used to hear these stories uh about you know uh why is it that we can't uh, you know take classes under a tree you know just like uh it used to be done at shantiniketan in tagore's time you know that sort of thing so what is it that's necessary you know that that will make a difference in our approach to education to education to make people learn rather than pass exams now i'm happy to say that we are in a position now that in our schools that we can do both you know we are really making people think and learn but at the same time the school you know has 100% distinction uh, passing for all its students so it's this is the sort of combination that is really important but i i i mean this it's a huge subject uh uh education by itself uh it has had political ramifications over the years uh there are language issues there are all sorts of other things but the emphasis on on basic education you know and actually i would like to hear uh, say our prime minister 
you know the way he used to passionately talk about swachh bharat you know cleanliness uh, you know talk about uh, an india that is really uh, concentrated you know on how do we make our young children sort of learn and educate and become wonderful citizens uh, this is something i think that that would be a great national debate and very important for achieving our vision of 2047 now oh, and especially at a time uh, jamshed when the world is dealing with aging populations and it's probably the indian you know who's going to drive a large part of the global you know uh, economy as we move forward and also at a time where learner centric becomes so critical because you hear generative ai you hear you know skills having to move from one to the other you know the adaptability needed you know to uh, to be able to be productive and efficient citizens of society i think all things that you know will will come up and you know you talking of your old era where at least people came you know with a, a kind of a career for a lifetime where nowadays people are looking for a lifetime of careers and will need to i mean it'll be forced to kind of look at that so adapting and becoming you know a learner centric society is so so critical and i agree with you you know we can talk for hours on that subject and i'm going to take you up on that because it's also very very important agenda and piece for us as we're thinking of you know india at 100 and you know in that context you know our role in the world but coming back to a little bit on green because i know we are kind of running out of time but really you know you talked of other nations you talked of vietnam you talked of many other countries doing you know different things that you know have inspired many others to do more i'm sure in india also we have seen success stories right there are best practices we always talk of pockets of excellence in india what we really need is being able to scale those you know those efforts and those you know initiatives to a larger base and maybe even inspire other nations you know to take on what india has created in your you know entire career and looking at this subject so closely you know is there some success story best practice particularly that you feel you know that you can share or that stands out that we can scale or other countries can benefit from yeah but rajan you know this is one area where the leadership at the very top of the organization can makes all the difference you know i think if you have a ceo and a chairman and a board you know that is really focused on this area you know it will transform industry everywhere uh at the best example you know is companies like unilever and some of the other you know companies which have uh which are global companies but have taken on this role of being evangelical uh, as far as green is concerned you know so it's important that you have a ceo uh who believes in it you know it's one thing to say that i have to do a little bit of box ticking because somebody has asked me to do it hmm? some regulator has asked me to do box ticking okay that's not green okay it has to come uh that you believe that you have to do it because it's the right thing for your company okay it's 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 a matter you know it's like when i was talking of green buildings i mean when we started out you know to convince people to do a green building uh was a humongous task okay until all the rest of the infrastructure started to fall in place okay but 
we convinced them that it was in their interest to do it. And people at the top took it. You know, uh, the late Mr. Deveshwar, you know, in ITC, when I talked to him about it, and I said, you know, you are in hotels, you are in so many, uh, you know, why don't you think of this from the point of view of your customer? Your customer in a hotel will be much happier, you know, if he knows that he's actually staying in a green hotel, you know. And these are the sort of things that, you know, if the CEO picks it up, you'll run with it. So I think it's very important in CII that we also, you know, whilst we're doing everything else that we're doing, you know, we also work on the mindset of, of leaders that of what is really critical, what is important, what will help them in their own journey. Uh, but this is really crucial. I mean, most things I would say is bottom up that works, you know, but in this area, you know, it has to be top down. The CEO, the chairman makes all the difference. So I think one more one more piece for people to look for and identify the right CEO is just making that job so much more difficult. But you know, I think you hit a very important point of this transformation in people, right? I mean, even tomorrow the CEO have it, others have it. This has to percolate in eight billion people who inhabit Earth. I mean, in our company, you know, through our digital company, what we have really started something is called the individual social responsibility and then ISR score, which is purely based on your consumption habits, right? How do you, how much water do you consume? How sustainable you are? And, you know, we use that as a score to do a lot of things, but I'm sure many other companies are also doing things like that but we have to create a national or a global kind of a movement to to bring that change because if that changes i think the world will follow right i mean one of the reasons they've gone the other way is because maybe a large part of humankind is transformed the other way you know we become very materialistic our consumption habits have become you know so driven by other factors so i think that shift which you touched upon is a very critical yeah. point and and i, I think provide yeah the other thing is that, you know, over the years, you know, the business community celebrates people who make huge profits, right. you know, okay. They don't celebrate people who have made a difference uh, on sustainability as much as they should. It's happening more and more, no doubt. But I think, you know, that mindset is still that, you know, my job is to make as much profit as possible. And yes, there is a school of thought behind that. And there's no doubt. But why is it that you cannot say that I want to make as much profit as possible, but I also want to be green and sustainable at the same time. And that is, I think, the real uh, challenge for CEOs. No, I think, I think, and you know, that's, that's a, such a powerful thing. And this is a message that not only has to go to them, but, you know, as we said, there are a lot of young entrepreneurs in India, business leaders, you talked of people, you know, who are going to shape the future of not only, you know, our economy in India, but the world economy. And they need to bring sustainability, you know, as a core part of their thinking, uh, especially when you talk of, you know, all the aspects, right? Whether it's the energy, is the relationship with, uh, you know, how you look at sustainability of that and, and the cross section of consumption and many, many factors. So what? You know, Jamshed, as we are, I mean, I'm just looking at the clock and we've way, way past our stuff, but I cannot end this without asking you this question and is what is your message, you know, 
to that young entrepreneur from India or young entrepreneurs around the world. You know, one in ten people in the world today is an Indian under the age of twenty-five who's going to, you know, go into the mainstream world in some shape and form. What's your message to them? Yeah. You know, I when I think of this question. the one person who always comes to my mind is the late professor ck pralad and you know he always made it a point of saying that successful businesses successful ceos will be those who can see the vision of innovation and sustainability together you know if if you can do that you are built for the future you know that that was his point of view with many many such examples uh you know and i still believe you know today that businesses have to be innovative you know there's no way you know you can't be stuck in one way or the other uh but doing innovation and sustainability at the same time in everything that you do whether it's a service it's a product you know whatever it is this is very powerful and so my message to entrepreneurs you know startups and everyone is yes of course you know innovation is very powerful you know new ideas new ways of doing things is very powerful but at the same time for your longevity and for making your business you know robust you know the sustainable aspect of that is crucial so i think that's the way to to think and advise young people entrepreneurs etc that think of it that way that you know you need both if you want to be successful now and it's so it's so befitting that you bring up ck pralad because the entire india at 75 vision you know which started 15 years ago by cii was inspired by his that one talk on india at 75 and then number of years of effort he put in you know to align industry government civil you know society to make that happen and it continues jamshed to be you know the the driving factor for india at 100 right the principles of transformation like what you rightly said continue to be as relevant today as they were 15 years ago for the next 25 years at least you know for india's journey and what you rightly said he used to talk of the non negotiables of innovation in in that same context and i know you and so many other business leaders in india and i also personally be touched by that and why sustainability and environment were very critical he also talked of scale and affordability you know which goes back to your opening comment of today's discussion about your vision you know for india of creating an equitable society i think it's so important that we think of all of that you know as as one interconnected ecosystem and you know innovate within that you know as we uh surge ahead to india at 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 100 and i don't think i could have asked for a better conversation a far more enriching conversation uh i have also learned so much and i'm sure everyone who has joined us here and you know large part of this conversation jamshed is going to go global we are taking these conversations to asia we're taking it to the western world because what is india's thinking what is the thinking of india in and india leadership today as we are looking at the next 25 years is very important you know even for the world to kind of understand so thank you so much for your time uh, for you know your your thoughts and and i'm going to keep you know coming back to you <laughs> for a lot more of uh, both your thought leadership you know and of course a large part of your own 
action uh, to helping us all collectively shape the future of India. So thank you, thanks Jamshed again for for joining. Thank you very much, Rajan. I think what you're doing by talking about the vision of India at hundred is really remarkable. Thank you. Thank you for listening to CII podcasts.